Wherever you step, wherever you step, this step is splatter brains. Oh, Brad, you know what story I told about you recently? Oh, God. Squirrel in the fanny pack. Believe it or not, no. But uh, I believe I was telling Jonathan and my Biff about, we were talking about critters. We were talking about bugs. I was like, you know who has a great bug story is Brad. And I retold the story (laughs) about when you slapped your ass and there happened to be a centipede there. Yeah. Well, I didn't slap my ass and then hope there was a centipede. I slapped my ass because it felt like there was a centipede. It wasn't like a coincidence that there was one there. Well, you know, there's your version of the story and there's my version of the story. It wasn't like I was just out here just like slapping away and there happened to be a centipede one time. Sure. We don't know. We weren't there. Was the rest of your uh, trip fun or did it get a little crazy because you were also drinking beer? Uh, No, it was just a lot of like... There's one point where I was like staring at the menu. Um, I was in a conversation with uh, Ashley Clayton's wife and uh, Jonathan and Josh, and we were all talking. And then I looked at the menu. I'm like, "Oh, what am I gonna get next?" And then I just completely spaced out, and I heard Ashley going, "Brad, are you okay?" <laughs> and literally, I was like, "Oh yeah," I was just thinking about the bartenders, and I was. I in my mind, I was just thinking about the bartenders. <laughs> Dude, Holly, uh, it sounds like you had a great time. Like, it's not, it, like five seconds of my life just like vanished from like my memory. I would like to welcome you to an ADHD. It's called disassociation. And I do that not high. <laughs> All this may or may not go into the episode, by the way. I don't know. I think it should. We'll see. Well, you know, I'm happy that you had a good birthday and that you did not panic in the state of being dissociating in public (laughs) no i was cool as cucumber speaking of cool as cucumber there was a the very end as we were leaving because i was wearing my packers hat as i'm wont to do as we were leaving some guy as i'm walking away carrying pizzas like leaving like he he was sitting there for hours he had plenty of opportunity to say this just looks at me and shouts go bears like a like Wimp ass move to like shout it as I'm walking away, dude. But B, I turned to him and being, you know, not in a good state, <laughs> the only thing I could think to say was, it'll never be go bears. And then I turned and walked away. <laughs> oh, you got him so good, Brad. I know. <laughs> Shaking in his little boots. <laughs> well, that's what separates the Packers fans from the Bears fans, I suppose. <laughs> I see that it's a neutral party. I don't care. It'll never be go bear. So I've been like saying that to myself all the time, like since then. I, I always think it's like how you say it, not what you say. And I do feel like the way you said it was like potently antagonistic. So I think <laughs> you got your point across. I hope so. I hope that guy is like lying awake at night, like, oh man, he got me. Yeah. He's like, he's right. It never will be go bears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Karen, how are you? What have you been up to, you spooky little lady? <laughs> um, I don't know. Stuff and things, I guess. Mostly roller derby season is starting to really punch up. So we just had our 
scrimmage and her first game in just over a month. So, how many girls have you had to yell at so far? Um, none actually. Hmm. Unless you mean just the way I speak at practice, then all of them all the time. <laughs> practice is like where you get to see a coach's true colors. It's true. When they verbally yeah. beat you into submission. <laughs> it's more just me saying get lower all the time. Yeah. Do you know what I make dun, that easier? Dun, 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 you got dun, lower. Dun, dun. Brad's taking us back to 2009. <laughs> that was like 2005. Oh, I was going to say, no, I was still in college. It was actually early college for me, which is almost 20 years ago. So it's that's been a minute. Yeah, I won't tell Nikki, you have you been uh, verbally beating anyone into submission lately? Well, uh, speaking of kids and being yelled at, today, this morning, in fact, I was on a walk. And uh, near my home is a, I think it's like an elementary school, a middle school. And I walked by when they had their recess. And there was a group of like 20, maybe like 12-year-old boys playing some sort of sports ball game i had my headphones on and then i all see them like running to the fence where i am and i panic because to this day i am scared of 12 year old prepubescent boys and they're like like lady could you get the ball for us could you get the ball and there was like two kids that looked like little troublemakers that i saw before that were in the corner and then there were the other boys that came so I couldn't tell if they were playing together separately and the two boys were like don't listen to them they're lying and I was like oh god what and they're like yeah it's like in that alley between these houses which is like right off of the offshoot of the parking lot and so now I'm like being told two conflicting pieces of information and my biggest fear is to look stupid in front of these boys so I go to the alley because I am the first girl that gets killed and scream who goes into the alley. And there was a soccer ball. So I was like, great. So I know those two boys are trouble and clearly trying to be antagonistic to the players of the game. So I got the ball. And this is the second time in my life I've like walked past a game of sports ball and had to get the ball and give it back. So this time I got the ball and then they're all watching me approach the fence with it. And I'm like, oh, like, how far can I be to lob it and like get it over the fence to them? So I went about like 30 feet and I was like, oh, like overhead shot, boom, hits a tree branch and then like falls straight down and hits a car. And one of the kids is like, well, you got to throw better than that, lady. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> traumatized so I pick it up again and I'm like Whoom! and it like skates right over the fence and it was great I was a hero but I will say the other time I did that it was a group of adult men playing soccer and I was on a run past the field the ball goes over the fence I kid you not I see it I catch it with my left hand and lob it back over the whole field applauses that's it that's the story that's pretty that cool. Is, That's pretty, yeah. pretty athletic. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little embarrassed today, though. 
I'm glad that story from today kind of turned into like the beginning of heavyweights where he's trying to throw the softball over the fence and he just like keeps throwing it and everybody's just like getting more and more annoyed with this kid that can't throw the softball. I'm glad that happened to you in real life. Wait, this is speaking of heavyweights, shout out to my cousin Lydia. She always does the impression of Jerry's dad and she'll just be oh. like, I did not send you to go kart camp. <laughs> shout out to George Bluth. Um, yeah. On your run today, Nikki, did you happen to, uh, two things, did you happen to notice uh, any signs saying, welcome to Splatterbrains? I did. Oh, cool. Uh, I put that one up. Glad you saw it. And then uh, my second question, did you notice anything in the sky while you were running today? Anything that you can't identify? There was something up there, and it had, there was like this beam of light, and it hit me, and I went, ah! And then for half of today, I had half of a red face with sort of like boils on it. And I was eating mashed potatoes for lunch. And I was like, just had this urge to make a mound out of it. Uh, And it happened after those unidentified flying object or aerial phenomenon. Unidentified aerial phenomenon. Yeah. So speaking of Yeah, that didn't happen to me at all. I got hit by a light and, you know. I was pulled up. My pants are falling down. My my pooter is out. <laughs> you guys ever seen that uh those skits from SNL where they have uh I think when when Kate McKinnon was there, like yes. they had like Ryan Gosling yes. and uh, yeah. They like, start batting knockers. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the two people are describing like heavenly light and like a warm embrace and like the aliens taking them and showing them wonders. And Kate McKinnon's like, Yeah, no, they're batting up my knockers, they're <laughs> My tutor and my cooter's out, and I'm just flashing everybody. They're in a line in a formation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> oh, that is great. You are Kate I McKinnon. think that was, like, they did that in her, like, final episode. Like, she, like, walked off and, like, walked away with the aliens at the end of that yeah. little skit. That's brilliant. I missed that. Yeah. Well, uh, um, yeah. Welcome to Spider Brain's horror podcast about horror things. Karen? Nailed it. Oh, I'm not Karen. I'm Nikki. Karen, what's your voice sound like? Yeah, they're falling apart without Alex here, guys. This is this is done. We're done. We're on a decline now. And that's a wrap. That's it. Uh, Alex it farts. <laughs> Alex farts. A thousand percent. Ha- I'm Karen. <laughs> And I'm Alex. God damn it, we keep screwing this up. I'm Brad, oh, I'm not Alex. God. Um, so today, as you can guess, we're talking about a thing that Karen likes. So Karen, what are we, what are we talking about, you little space freak? Um, my favorite subject ever to talk about, and that is UFOs. Bum, bum, bum. And... Just to bring it to the podcast so this isn't like, this doesn't turn into Karen's Conspiracy Theory podcast, um, tied in some pop culture references to the overarching UFO phenomenon here in the United States, uh, where we watched the original War of the Worlds, 1953, and also one of my favorite movies of all time, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I would also just like to note that this subject requires not a tiny notebook, but my full ass, whole ass iPad. <laughs> oh my God, she's got a giant iPad. It's the biggest iPad I've ever seen. And it's 
brim to brim with notes. Are those handwritten notes on the iPad? Correct. Yes. I mean, where would you like us to start? I feel as though you've got the field notes. It's like Charlie Kelly in the mailroom. Pepe Sylvia. Carol, Carol. Karen. Yeah. Hello. I love UFOs. Um, yeah, let's, uh, you know what, let's start with War of the Worlds, 1953. I hadn't, I've seen Tom Cruise, that one. And f- I actually did rewatch that one after I watched the original because I just, I really wanted to see kind of how they, and I have some thoughts. But um, yeah, let's start with War of the Worlds. This was my first time seeing the original. What about you guys? Yeah, same. I haven't seen it before. Same. First time. Wow, look at that. Well, look at that. All of us. First timers. Um, So, original War of the Worlds was, just to give, I guess, a brief synopsis, um, it was originally a radio play that Orson Welles wrote that they adapted into, the first adaptation was into this film, and then obviously a bunch more, but the premise is um, a meteor, what they think is a meteor falls to earth, but turns out it's actually like basically an alien scout ship. And it starts to wreak havoc on this small California town before more spacecraft start falling across the world and start wreaking havoc to the point where all nations, armies get involved to try to take these things down. Um, you have your hero and hero and heroine um, throughout the film, and it ends with all of the aliens eventually dying due to bacteria or, like, basically the common cold. Um, things that humans have grown immune to, but these Martians, and they are specifically from Mars, these aliens in the original War of the Worlds, um, that these Martians are just not immune to. And that's how the aliens end up dying. But no matter of force, nuclear otherwise was able to take them down. But the common cold. So kind of basic premise of this film. Um, it's classic. It's a classic cinema. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It just gave me a lot of like really great throwback and feel to one of the first ever horror movies I saw when I was like eight years old, which was The Blob, which is still one of my favorite horror movies ever. But yeah, I really liked it. I thought the special effects, especially considering this is like the early 50s, were fantastic. Um, I would love to get my hands on like a replica of one of those things. That was that was sick. Um, Yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about it? I have I have a lot of history and and knowledge about this specific subject that involves like I just know a lot and I don't want to make this (laughs) become me talking about aliens and UFOs and and all of that. So I will um, revert to you both and just get your takes on the movie. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, like like you said, I honestly, and this is coming from like a total place of ignorance, but I was surprised it was in color. I was expecting it to be black and white. I've never, obviously never seen it. I also saw the Tom Cruise one when I was young. I didn't rewatch it after this. Um, but yeah, like you get like the basic story uh, out of the the Tom Cruise one is that the aliens come and we're useless against them until the bacteria. I feel like maybe this wasn't a universal thing, but I remember hearing about this in like a history class in 
like junior high or something they were talking about how it was like on the radio yes. play and like people thought yes. it was real and like there was like mass panic because of it yes which is wild yeah. um <clears throat> which i know a lot about and if you want to know the history of it i will gladly tell you but i'm not going to subject you to it unless you want it so <laughs> maybe we can touch on it after we talk about the, the movie a bit um i was actually kind of surprised and this is totally like nitpicky um like hindsight sort of review of a movie that obviously is very influential and classic and so many things have taken from it over the years that it's hard for it to stand up itself um, because so many things have copped from it but I was surprised at the end a little bit in that my my the main character Clayton Forrester is looking for uh, Sylvia is her name I forget her last name she, he's, she's like a scientist in like the town that he he first goes to where the uh ufo first crashes and they get separated in la during an la evacuation and he goes from like church to church looking for her. i was watching him like why wouldn't they just make her be in the first church like why add this extra like five minutes of movie of him just like wandering from church to church to find her? it would have been more powerful like at the first one anyways that's a dumb stupid little nitpick but i was very shocked at the very end because obviously it opens and closes with a narrator talking about what's going on. Um, the, op- the opening, they're talking about the Martians for thousands of years. Their land has been dying and they're looking for new homes. And they do like an overview on every planet in the in the solar system. <laughs> like Jupiter is too hot and it looks like Mordor. And it's like Mercury has no air. Um, so obviously they come to Earth. But the narration at the end is talking about how the microbes in our atmosphere affect them. <laughs> and it takes a weird religious twist. It goes like, and they died by the microbes in the atmosphere that God put there knowingly. And then, like, the final shot is a church. And it's like, that was a weird, <laughs> a weird religious twist for this thing to take that I did not expect it to close on, like, and God saved the day. I, it was a little bizarre. But yeah, I mean, it was good for what it was. Uh, I enjoyed the little creature, the little alien that looks like their ship. <laughs> he looked like a little goober walking around with his long arms and it's very funny. Nikki, what did you think? Yeah, so I think this movie inspired me to want to sort of go back and watch more of the classic horror films. It's kind of hard to watch some of those for the first time when you don't really have maybe a memory of watching them growing up and kind of letting go of what you know about effects and storytelling now. But I think while watching this movie, something I was surprised in myself by is I was really watching this through the lens of the time and just um, what I kind of took away first and foremost, because Karen, to you too, and Brad, I had only seen the Tom Cruise remake version, which I wanted to get to, but didn't have time. But what was interesting, so this came out in 1953, so post-World War One, post-World War Two, and they had mentioned that sort of at the beginning and sort of the opening narration um, to kind of introduce this story of the War of the Worlds. And I found that for a, a good chunk of the film, the representation of the UFOs was really uh, focused on sort of a wartime scenery, like the sounds coming from the spaceships sounded like guns. There was a lot of focus on guns, machinery, like men of war and fire. Like it was very much like war scene, the way the movie was showing the violence between the aliens and the humans. 
Um, and for a while, there was very little images of aliens, which is true overall. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, and it just kind of reminded me of what we've talked about, about the progressive history of horror representing the fears of the time. So I was trying to keep that in mind as I was watching it. I also found the alien reveal when um, Dr. Clayton Forrester and Sylvia are kind of in this dilapidated house, and then you just see the shadow of an alien. I honestly didn't even think we were going to get to see aliens, because I thought the focus would be more on the fear of war. Um, but you get this big shadow kind of lurking in, and you get this sort of, like, wet, like, red creature with the electronic eye um and i i think what i really loved about that is it really set the stage for me and how i think of alien films now of there's just that dichotomy between like sleek technology and then kind of like gruesome biology you know like if you think of a lot of other alien related movies you do have that very sleek uh futuristic technology that humans can't comprehend but when you actually see the alien you're aware of just how like biological they are which i think is such an interesting thing to explore in that movie um and then to your point too brad about the ending just kind of being the focus on religion and the reason he was following sylvia in a church is because she told a story about being a kid and being found in a church um and yeah like now i think that's kind of a weird message but for the time i'm sure like the church and God's purpose for the tragedies that happen in life was probably a big coping mechanism for at least Americans at the time. So I tried to look at it through that lens, even though it felt like a little bit awkward. So anyway, that was kind of my thoughts of it. It was interesting to think of that movie through the lens of the 50s and through the fears at the time. And I can see how that movie and the radio show more specifically would have been so terrifying to people. But yeah, it was a very whitewashed movie, too. That was really hard to look past. And it kind of just made it like they're town square dancing and they're very religious. And it was kind of this gross representation of society. That was weird. But again, through the lens of the 50s. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah. And it's it's not just the 50s either. It's the early 1950s. So you're talking only like less than 10 years since the end of World War II. And this is also at a time, this movie came out um, when the Cold War was starting to really heat up and there was a lot of fear around um, nuclear warfare. And that is, a gr and I think that that, the religious overtones in the original film had a lot to do with that. And the whole christianityizing of america at the time to kind of come together against one specific force being communism and russia and then also on top of that you have the space race was starting at that point too we were starting to try to get up there i mean i, I can't off the top of my head i can't remember exactly when like sputnik was launched but it's roughly i know it was in the 50s so it was roughly around that time and Going back to just the UFO phenomena, um, there was a lot of flying saucer hysteria at this time, too, in America, because um, Roswell had just occurred five years before in 1947. So it was a lot of compounding fear across the country about unknown threats coming from the outside. 
And I definitely feel that gave it a lot of its messaging. And what's funny, because I did rewatch the 05 version, and there's a lot of crossover that they have in the remake as it as it does in the original. Like the way that the intro was done, obviously the aliens got the late 90s, early 2000s CGI upgrades and all of that. But even that, the creature, like the that shadow moment with the creature in the basement, or rather in the, it's in the basement in 05, but in the farmhouse, that is a scene that happens with uh, Tom Cruise and the kiddo and um, very, very frightening. But what, what made me think about this after I rewatched both, after I watched the first one and then rewatched the second one was you had the original come out in 53 End of World War II, like really the the dramatic start to the Cold War. The remake came out in 2005, only four years after 9-11 and two years after we went to war in Afghanistan and Iraq. So both of these movies at the time, like both the first one and the remake came out during these moments of really America panic of threat from the outside. And I just found that super fascinating. Um, and I think it ties back into the horror genre all over again because we're watching our fears play out on screen and using, you know, UFOs and aliens as the ultimate threat to our humanity, right? Yeah, and um, I want to bring this up super briefly, and I know we're going to do this as a topic on its own, but I did watch uh, Knock on the Cabin last weekend, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, that all to say, that movie, when I watched it, to me evoked very specific fears that I have right now, like existential fears about like climate change and such. And I was like, God, this movie is scares me right now in a way that like the movie itself isn't scary, but it's like making me think of the panic I have in this world. And so that's why when I was watching War of the Worlds, I was like, I, I had that more keen eye to it because I was thinking of the movies we watch now and the fears it evokes about the world now. Um, and that's interesting too, Karen, what you noted about the remake, because I was going to ask, because I didn't get to rewatch it before this, but how that kind of compares stylistically, but even more interestingly, as you're saying to the timing, I also, for like, I felt like it was more recent than 2005, but that makes sense. Welcome to your 30s. <laughs> kind of related to what you're saying the end of this movie what there's a mass evacuation of los angeles because the aliens are making their way there and if i had seen this movie in 2018 2019 it that part would have done nothing for me but seeing like an abandoned empty la uh totally like brought me back to like the early days of like the pandemic where like you just see images like of drones flying through cities and it's just empty and otherworldly almost that was like the probably the most evocative part of the movie for me like something from 1953 that can hold up in 2023 purely from a coincidental nature uh because i mean obviously they didn't well i mean maybe they had for the foresight of like a giant city like a metro area being empty being terrifying but like through that lens of like kind of remembering a few years ago and looking at that that was like the creepiest part to me I think one of my favorite things about this movie specifically was that because it came out in 53, so it came out during this time where the government hadn't really started 
its mass disinformation campaign against UFOs that there wasn't any pushback that this was alien. Everybody just kind of accepted it as it was. Um, and I think like there was nothing like no one was discounting it. No one was trying to disprove it. Like this isn't there was no this. These were the Russians like the, it was it was these are Martians like these are people like another creature from outside of our world. And it was just accepted as it was without any pushback that that is probably my favorite thing about this, because it shows that the 50 years in between the original and the remake in 2005 where it was complete disbelief in the 05 version of like, this can't be what we think it is. Like this has to be something else. And there is a moment with Tom Cruise and his kids in the car while they're trying to get out of New York where his son asks him, is it the terrorists? And he's like, I don't know. Um, But he's starting to think like this is alien, but no one else is. Everybody's still panicking and they don't know what's going on. And they think it's not this same type of existential threat that it actually is. Um, and that, to me, is the biggest difference between the two films. Otherwise, they're very similar um, in the story itself. I can't, there isn't nearly as much of a religious overtone in the 2005 one, I think, for obvious reasons. But um, that that is the thing that stood out to me, I think, the most in the original, was just the full acceptance of it and thinking about the time period when it came out in. Like, yeah, because we hadn't spent the last 70 years, like, giving people misinformation about UFOs, generally speaking. Yeah, and uh, that is a very nice, quick transition, and we don't have to go to talk about this yet, but you saying that full acceptance of aliens reminds me of a scene from Close Encounters of the Third Kind that I thought was very interesting, sort of toward the beginning of that movie. Um, they're people flying and talking to air control and they're clearly seeing ufos and are can't explain what's going on and they're talking about the approach of the ship and the guy says do you want to report this like as an unidentified flying object and he asks all of the aircrafts in the area and they all say no and you kind of get a sense that it's from like not embarrassment, but, like, that's ridiculous. So, I don't know. So, and that's, that movie came out, what, like, 25 years after War of the Worlds. So, we don't have to jump there yet. And mm -hmm. does anyone have other stuff to say about War of the Worlds? Or do we want to transition over? Okay, cool. So, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting transition of just that acceptance in that movie to then Close Encounters. So, I, Karen, do you want to talk about that one a little bit since that's your, yeah. your jam? It's my jam. Um, so, again, similar to War of the Worlds, um, I know a lot about this movie, <laughs> its backstory, um, where it came from. So I will try not to go in diatribes here. Um, brief synopsis of the film, you have our homie Richard Dreyfuss, um, the OG Spielberg main man. Um, and he's got a family. Uh, three kids, wife, and I forget what his job is. And even rewatching this last night, I was not paying attention to what his ever his job was. But his job doing stuff electronics, I think. And um, he gets called out to something weird, and he ends up encountering a UFO. And half his face is sunburnt when he comes in. He's still trying to like reconcile what he just saw. He doesn't believe it. 
Um, and the UFOs keep coming back night after night, and it's affecting different people in different ways. Our other main character is, uh, I don't know her name offhand, so I'm just going to refer to her as what I know her as, the mom from A Christmas Story. I was going to say uh, <laughs> She has, yes, Jillian. She has, a, I think, two or three-year-old son who um, ends up getting abducted, but she finds Richard Dreyfuss's character, Roy. Um, they become friends and kind of bond over this encounter and experience with the ufo people start picnicking out it's a whole thing um so people are seeing this stuff the government's trying to cover it up they end up doing a mass evacuation out of like a bunch of towns in wyoming that surround devil's tower in wyoming um lots of references to devil's tower people are seeing this thing and eventually richard Dreyfus and jillian decide they're going to go there because this is where the aliens are basically calling them to and they go Manage to get in, make it past all of the government stuff. They try to play it off like some toxic air event, but there's nothing actually happening. And so they go to Devil's Tower where there's this secret base and they're making contact with UFOs. And eventually um, the UFOs land, make contact, and they release a bunch of people that had disappeared throughout time over like the last 50, 60 years. Um and Richard Dreyfus ends up going with them as like the a little adventurer into space. Um, this movie scared the shit out of me as a kid because aliens scared the shit out of me as a kid. But this being one of my most obsessive topics um, and something I know just too much about, um, it's one of my favorite films because I, to me, it portrays what would likely be what happens if aliens were to ever make contact with us it would not be in a hostile way but in that in the way that they do my favorite thing about this film too is that the aliens communicate through music which is my favorite thing and that tone just gets stuck in my head every time i see this film and i don't know if you two notice this but while they're all in the mountain and uh the ship starts playing more noise it plays the theme song to jaws did you notice no. that nikki it does. You hear it. It's Donna, Donna. It's the main it thing really? to jazz that it's, yeah, it's a nice little like Easter egg that Spielberg put in there. So um, I know a lot of the, the backstory. <laughs> so um, before I get into your thoughts about this film, I just, I'm, I'm going to just info dump a, a little bit about this movie because I love it so much. Um, so the biggest thing about this film and Spielberg wrote the script, so he has the own writing quarter to it. However, he consulted with a slew of top-tier scientists at the time who were familiar with this subject, including the main consultant, Dr. Alan J. Or J. Allen Hynek. Dr. J. Allen Hynek was a scientific consultant on Project Blue Book from its inception in 1949 till its disintegration in, a, I think, in 1950. I'm going to fuck that up. It's fine. Um... Dr. Jalen Hynek is actually the person who created the Close Encounters criteria, which I can rail off for you if you really want me to. Uh, so Close Encounters of the Third Kind is actually something that J Dr. Hynek had, that was his terminology. That's what he came up with when he was working as the consultant at Project Blue Book. Um, so the way that Spielberg wrote this film and told the story was based on the prevailing scientific theories at the time, which is why you see music as the main form of communication, um, why Richard Dreyfuss has a half sunburnt face. A lot of the claims uh, that Alan, that Hynek had gone 
through when he was a Blue Book investigator was that type of thing. People getting sunburn, radiation burns from their encounters with these ships. And then you have the loss of power and mechanics, the compasses going crazy. Um, and I think that's, I think, th- I think I'll stop there. I'll think I'll stop there. But yes, so a lot of what this movie is based on is based on of the prevailing theories and some theories still exist within the community, the UFO and ufologist community today um, that are built upon these original ideas and frameworks that these earlier scientists had done. So um, I fucking love this movie. All right. That's it. That's my spiel. I'm done. Yeah. I want to talk about a couple scenes in this movie that kind of, I wasn't sure whether or not I, cause I'm on Letterboxd and I always log the movies I watch and I have like a list, like, cause you can make like custom lists and everything. So like, for example, I have, my Marvel movie rankings, which is ordered. Then I have a list of just every horror movie I watch, um, like unordered. Um, <clears throat> and so I was unsure whether or not I wanted to add this to um, my horror movie list, but I ended up doing that because there are a couple scenes I want to talk about. The first one is the first time Richard Dreyfus uh, interacts with the UFO. It's fucking horrifying. Like he's in his car and he's parked. Well, he's not even parked. He's like sitting there and the mailboxes next to him start rattling and his car shuts off and like a, a railroad crossing sign starts rattling and like the radio starts flicking out and like the light turns on. It's like everything you would imagine would be like, a terrifying thing if like a UFO were to come and investigate you for a little bit. It's just such a creepy otherworldly thing of like all these things happening to him and he's like freaking out and then he gets sunburned like you mentioned. Um, that and then the scene of uh, Jillian, was that her name? Jillian and her son in the house when the UFO comes to take her son. That was very creepy. Just like her like having like barricade and like the lights coming in and like the aliens trying to get into her house and take her son. Maybe it's just because I've got a little baby boy on the way. And like the idea of like the son being like naive enough to be like, oh, they want to play with me and like running out of like the doggy door on his own. Um that creeped me out. No fair. <laughs> Nikki, to your point about the um the radio communication in the beginning, um, when the planes are seeing the UFO like overhead and they don't want to report it, sounds a lot like the actual radio recordings that Tom DeLong helped released of like these Navy or Air Force pilots like seeing things and like re- like talking about it on their radio that were just I think just released in twenty twenty. Um yeah, it's super, again, both of these movies kind of dealing with things and kind of almost coincidentally having echoes of both actually 2020, weirdly enough, but having echoes of real life events that happen in the future after these movies are made. Well, they were happening at the time. Like that was a real thing happening with pilots who encountered things that they couldn't explain. It was always, I don't want to report it. Always. There's FAA recordings of this. Um, I don't know if you both know this, but there's UFO sighting at O'Hare in 2006 that there are FAA recordings from that everybody you hear is like, I don't know what I'm seeing, but I don't want to report it as a UFO. I don't want to lose my job over this because that was a real concern. And it it's over the last three years, it's become far less of a concern because people are actually starting to take this way more seriously than they did. And that's due to literally 70 years of disinformation and counterintelligence campaigning by the government. 
right. I no, honestly, <laughs> I, so I'll give you just, I have pretty short notes on this because I would actually love to hear more about the Tom DeLonge stuff and just kind of a little bit more about Brad smirking. <laughs> I feel like you guys both know so much and I just, I don't. Because um, I'd love to kind of like get a little broader with the topic beyond the movies because I am curious because I don't know shit. Um, yeah, overall, so this was my first time seeing Close Encounters. It's It was just a movie, I know, sorry, Karen. It was a movie that felt a little too long for what it was. Like, I think every scene could have been shorter by, like, five minutes. Like, there was just a lot of, like, we get it. People are drowning the mountain, the thing in Wyoming, I get it. But, like, we got a mud pile of it. We got potatoes. We got trash can mountain. I don't know. I was just like, okay, we get it. Like, people are seeing the mountain. So in terms of just the movie itself, it was just a little slow for me. It also, the ending um, kind of made me laugh because E.T. came out like maybe five, six years later. And it felt like Steven Spielberg was like, I liked the ending I did for Close Encounters and I want to do it again, but like a little bit better and more feelings. And then did that for E.T. Um, I also felt like this movie and War of the Worlds, it was fun to just kind of see... Karen and Brad are both poking me with their E.T. light up fingers. Um, I, it was fun to kind of see how various alien movie tropes kind of came up. Like, I think Close Encounters showed kind of like the farm trope that we've seen in Signs and Men in Black. Like, the UFO falling into a farmland and kind of hitting, quote unquote, like, simpler America. And kind of, again, that dichotomy between like very advanced and rural and I so that was kind of fun to see um and the scene Brad you're talking about where the aliens come to Jillian and Barry and are trying to get in there was a scene in signs that reminded me very much of that too like through the fireplace so it was kind of fun to just draw parallels um I also thought what was interesting about this movie uh Karen that you alluded to as well is it's pretty much an undercurrent through most of it beyond the actual like spooky encounters is that the aliens were always seemed like they weren't a threat in the movie like there wasn't really a situation where this movie was trying to make them threatening like even the sounds like the da 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 it's like very like major chord notes and so there really wasn't much threat which i thought was an interesting perspective to take to the movie and I, I feel like the only threat was just the fear of the unknown from the humans but once we actually see the aliens and they are cute as hell they are cute little guys with little chubby tummies and they're fun and they're just kind of poking around at people um yeah and then the final thing that I thought about it is I Karen it makes sense that you love this movie because the ending where Richard Dreyfus just his character walks with the aliens. They're like touching him, and he just kind of looks around knowingly, like, fuck it, I'm out of here. Like, forget the wife and kids. Here I go. I was like, that's Karen's dream scenario. She would love to be like, I'm going with these guys. <laughs> They're going to bang on my knockers all day. A thousand. Karen wants to get her knockers banging around. These little... <laughs> Batting around. Uh, anyway, so yeah, it was, a, it was a cute movie. No. It was just a little long for me. I just would like to point out, I do not want my knockers bumped around 
by aliens, okay? I want to go on adventures through the universe. Sexual adventures? Style, okay, that's all. No! Uh, <laughs> I mean... Um, <laughs> uh, okay, can I talk about UFOs now? Like, for real, for real? Brad, do we let her rip? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, real quick, I just want to say, like, these movies sort of almost represent a dichotomy of, like, how people are viewing, like, viewed aliens. And maybe it's, they're both just a matter of their time. Like, Karen, to your point, it, uh, Close Encounters came out after the um, U.S. started being hush-hush about it. And War of the Worlds was, I think, before that. But, like, War of the Worlds is very much, like, it's in the open. Everybody knows. We all got to get out of here. Like, they're evacuating L.A. We're all going, except for the people looking to loot and stuff. And then, for whatever reason, the people that are praying. Uh, whereas, like, Close Encounters, it's all happening. And, like, these UFO encounters, kind of, all these people are getting visions of the Devil's Tower. But, like, the visions kind of mean different things to different people. Like, the people that were all picnicked out there at the, in the beginning, like Jillian and her son, it seemed like they were, like, excited about it. And, like, looking to, like, like oh, it makes us happy and feel good. Whereas Richard Dreyfuss' character um, seemed kind of terrified of the things going on and kind of just wanted answers to know what was going on. And, like, he was kind of almost being driven mad by the visions of uh, the Devil's Tower. Um, so it seemed like it represented, like, in Close Encounters, it represented, like, the UFO represented different things to different people, which was interesting. Um, but, like, the movie as a whole is in the time where, like, UFOs are being hush-hushed. And, like, only kind of, like, the crazy lunatic people are talking about seeing it as opposed to, like, World of Worlds where it's all present. Uh, both movies had the government evacuating areas. And it was interesting that in Close Encounters, like, well, we're going to have some yahoos that want to stick around. So we're not going to say it's aliens or anything. We'll say we spilled chemicals. Hindsight, people aren't going to give a shit about that. I mean, dumb people. No, it's just my two cents. But, yeah, let's talk about uh, UFOs now. You're not wrong. Um... We're not wrong, sir. No, that's a really good point. And I think a lot of alien films in general touch on this topic in different ways. But for all intents and purposes, it's the same underlying fear, which is this exist like ultimate existential fear for humans to not be the only intelligent life in the universe, which... I will say outright before I even delve into this topic. I am of the camp that we are very much not alone in the universe. I am not saying UFOs equal aliens, but I am saying that there are things that we cannot explain. What they are, I don't know. There is a possibility they could be extraterrestrial life from another part of the galaxy or the universe at large. They could be from another fucking dimension. I don't know. Um, it could be a natural phenomenon that we just have not learned about. I, I don't know. So, but I do believe that aliens as a thing exist out in the universe at large. It's too big. We're too small to not be alone. So UFOs as a phenomenon in modern America. Let's talk about it. So it all started back in 1947, Roswell, New Mexico. Something crashed in the desert in Roswell. Yes, Nikki, uh, you have a question. You need to also note that you have Roswell dirt in your home for the small price of $40. I sure do. $50. 50 <laughs> I sure do. Um, so it all started there. It's because it all started there. It's where it all started. So... 
it's also where this I, the idea of government cover-up comes from as well. So when the crash happened, and the initial reaction by both the Air Force and local media was that this was a flying saucer, that they had captured something not of this earth. They could not explain it. 24 hours later, backtrack, this is a weather balloon. Um, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Now, at the time, there was an actual highly secret campaign that the U.S. was using weather balloons to try to spy on the Russians. So it's not out of the question that they wanted to cover it up if Roswell had actually been a balloon. I don't think it was. Um, but that said, this is where it all started. Now, there were a few different government projects, I guess. That's probably the best name for them. Before Roswell happened, Roswell was kind of the birth of Project Blue Book. Um, and Project Blue Book, up until 2021, was the only public-facing government agency, project, whatever you want to call it, um, that was investigating UFOs. Um, up until 2021, where we actually have um, a completely different group that was born out of the 2017 New York Times article that uncovered ATIP and all of um, the secret investigation that the government had been doing since 2007 on UFOs, specifically within the Air Force and Navy, and then to now where we actually have Pentagon oversight and a public-facing committee for this in places where people can talk about their um, encounters with UFOs. That means Navy, Air Force, anybody in the Army, um, and civilians, including uh, the FAA now has active uh, handbooks around how to report these things, whereas before it was don't talk about it, keep it covered up, we don't want to talk about it. Between 1969, when Blue Book was disbanded, until 2007, when ATIP was created, there was no, that we know of, government committee that was looking into UFOs. No one was doing it. And uh, if people weren't reporting UFOs to the Air Force or a government entity, they would turn them around and say, you're going to go have to talk to a civilian group about this. We don't investigate these things. And civilian groups include MUFON, the Mutual UFO, organiz uh, the Mutual UFO Network, which is like global. Um, also, if you don't know what ATIP stands for, it's the Advanced Aeronautical Threat Identification Program ran by Luis Elizondo, who resigned in 2012. Why? Um, and uh, because no one was taking it seriously. So ATIP actually reported into the Secretary of Defense, but uh, Elizondo, who was the director of the program, could never get a face-to-face -face with the Secretary of Defense to talk about the findings that ATIP had found, um, which the, the numbers are going to be off, so I'm just going to round. There are close to 100 of the... I believe roughly 200 cases that ATIP investigated, 140 plus of them could not be explained at all. Um, there was a lot of, uh, all right, I got to slow down. All right, so, so ATIP couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't explain them. And it was posing a defense problem, a security threat. And one that, that um, Elizondo, his team, could not identify and therefore could not prepare against. And 
no one whom he reported into would take him seriously or even listen to these reports. So he basically resigned so that he could get attention on this subject as a matter of national security. Um, it's how he ended up partnering with Tom DeLong, Academy to the Stars, Tom DeLong's organization. John Podesta has been involved in it. Um, there's a lot of really high-level people taking this shit seriously. Senator Harry Reid, former Senator Harry Reid, um, is the congressman who actually gave like budgeted out for the program because he took it that seriously. So it's now Kirsten Gillibrand has kind of taken the torch from uh from Reed and she's been the one that's been working towards all of this more openness and transparency. At the end of the day, we don't know what they are. The government doesn't know what they are. Um and it's kind of become this weird thing where it's much more out in the open, but we still don't know very much about any of it. And I just think about um, the the UFOs that they shot down earlier this year. Only one of them we actually know about, which is the the balloon. We all know about the Chinese spy balloon. The there those were not balloons that they shot down over Alaska, Lake Huron, and Canada. We don't know what they are because they claim that they could not find the wreckage of these things. So. There is still a lot of government cover-up, but the disinformation part about it has started to fall apart. And to me, that's really good because this is a subject, as you can tell, I'm very deeply invested in. Um, I don't think we'll ever hear the government say alien life exists. And I'm not, again, saying that UFOs equal aliens, but I want to know what they are. And it's why I'm deeply passionate about this subject. Um, but it all started in Roswell. And there have been many... Uh, moments in American history where we've touched on it. And Nikki, I know you said how it play the uh, in close encounters plays on this trope of the alien encounters happening in the rural areas and like bumpkins and, and farmlands, right? Because that's the general stereotype uh, that comes along with these types of things. But there have been many mass encounters. And this, the one that I think about the most because I was old enough when it happened and terrified enough of aliens and UFOs at the time to remember it because it's a core child in memory was the Phoenix Lights sighting in 1997. Um, mass cra massive, massive craft seen by thousands of people in Phoenix, Arizona, including the governor of Arizona at the time who came out publicly after his governorship had ended to say he saw it, he didn't know what it was, and it looked like a giant fucking UFO, and they didn't know what it was. They tried to play it off like they were flares dropped by military planes, but if you look at the actual footage of the Phoenix Lights versus what Army flares look like, it, they're not the same thing. Um, but that's probably the – that is the largest mass sighting in American history that we know about that, that in recent history, too. But there's also, um, like I said, O'Hare Airport in 2006. Like, dozens of people saw this, including people at the gate. Ground control, air traffic control saw this thing. Um, and no one knows what the fuck it was. Uh, one of the big ones that happened in 1980 was in Rendlesham Forest, which is right outside of RAF Bentwaters, where... The Air Force at the, the U.S. Air Force at the time had taken over the base as part of a nuclear stronghold during the Cold War, and there was an encounter that happened over the course of I think like three different nights um, by multiple Army personnel, 
that has never been explained. And it also lends itself to a lot of sightings that have happened over nuclear facilities throughout um, the course of the last roughly 70-ish years, especially at the height of the Cold War. Um, two of the biggest army, like where we've kept ICBMs in uh, Minot in Montana and Malmstrom in Wyoming. I might be flipping the two, but those two were large, our two biggest spaces where we kept ICBMs during the Cold War, and both were visited with roughly within weeks of one another um, by an unidentified flying object that caused them to lose control of every single one of the ICBMs that they had on site at the time, which was, I think, roughly 20 of them each. So it's not uncommon for UFOs to be found over nuclear facilities, both power plants and um, where nuclear missiles are held. So there's a lot in that that can be unpacked. Um, but there's also been mass sightings over large populations like Chicago and Phoenix. And then your rural sightings that happen, of course, that people don't take all that seriously. Uh, what do you guys want to know about UFOs? That's my little, like, histor historical spiel about all of it. And I'm going to stop talking. I was just going to say, I have a slew of questions. And Brad, if you... Yes! Brad, if you have answers, it. too, please let me know. Okay, so... One. I know the, a big thing with UFOs, UFO sightings, is, like, government cover-ups. Is every president or world leader... Do they all get debriefed on aliens and then they all just keep a secret? Are the leaders and the presidents privy to alien ship and they're all keeping a big old secret? Or are they removed, do you think, from that knowledge? I think it depends on the government. Uh, there are governments across the world that are far more open to it. So um, some of the first governments that came out with these open transparency programs about UFO investigations um, include Brazil, France. Italy, um, they actually have like open agencies that investigate these things. So I would say from a government perspective for them, yeah, it's very open, transparent. The president is probably debriefed on everything that they know. I think it's a little different in America because we have a military industrial complex where our military is larger than like the, what, top 10 mili other militaries across the world. Like we, you know, I think there's a lot more compartmentalism and a lot more secrecy. And I think that presidents probably aren't debriefed on what things are known because it's so compartmentalized throughout government agencies and the military that I don't think more than maybe five people actually know the whole truth behind what we do know and what we don't know. Um, that said, I always think about Independence Day. And uh, the moment that Bill Pullman finds out that there are aliens and they've had UFOs and his, I think, chief of staff was like, plausible deniability, sir. Yes. And I think that in, in the interviews I've seen of Luis Elizondo, the director from ATIP, the reason he couldn't get face to face with the secretary of defense, technically the guy that oversaw his program, is because the Secretary of Defense needed to be able to say, I don't know anything about that subject when questioned by his authorities, including, say, the president. So I think it depends on the like government. I feel like if I were a president and I got voted into office, I'd get all, all the people into the conference room and I'd say, give me the file. Give me the alien file. Let's go. <laughs> okay, great. 
Um, my next question, why, and I also understand to your point, there's a difference between UFOs and aliens. There's a Venn diagram perhaps, but we don't know. Why are they here? Do you think? Do I think my own personal theory is twofold. Um, I think one, we're probably a kind of a science project. In a, in to a certain extent. Um, my thinking is that if you have the intelligence and technology to travel billions of miles in the matter of, I don't know, like say an hour it takes to get from here to the next galaxy. I don't fucking know. You have that ability. You have that level of intellect and technology to do that. Yeah, you're going to want to study us little ants on a tiny planet killing ourselves, <laughs> right? Like, hey, what you doing down there? Oh, they're killing themselves. Ooh, okay. Do you think they watch um, people have sex? Sure. Why not? Oh, oh there's Brad. All the time. Like, all the time. Brad's here. <laughs> Happy to be here. Okay, fair. Yes, all the time. But yeah, I, I personally think that um, they're coming here to watch us and view us and and get to understand us better. Um, I don't think they're here necessarily for um, malevolent, malevolent reasons, but I also don't think they're here for benevolent reasons either. I think they're here as third-party observers, I guess. Um, and I think that, I say twofold because I that's my prevailing theory, but I think that I always think about the nuclear aspect of it and how the UFO phenomenon didn't really become a thing until after we used a nuclear bomb to stop World War II. So the Roswell crash happened in 47, but uh, World War II pilots we're seeing UFOs during, like, especially in um, the Pacific during the, like, throughout the war. Um, it's where the term Foo Fighters come, comes from. So I, there's the weird nuclear aspect to this that doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't jive with the initial theory, because I think it still does. Um, but I think that once we learned how to split the atom, we became a lot more fucking interesting to people zipping around the galaxy. Because nuclear power is, as we know it, as, as human beings, and, and our current level of understanding of the world around us and physics, nuclear power is, is the most powerful energy source we have found as a species. So, um, and I think our discovery of that is what really has drawn them well, in. I'll tell you what, so aliens, far. if you're listening, I have no clue how to split an atom. So you just leave me be. <laughs> Brad, this question's for you specifically. And then, Karen, I want to hear your answer. Brad, which movie do you, th which movie representation of an alien do you think is most representative of what an alien actually looks like? Have you guys seen Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla? No. Karen has. Yes. So the whole the premise yeah. of that is that aliens bring Mechagodzilla to Earth to kill Godzilla because they think Godzilla is Earth's greatest weapon and that they can take over after they kill Godzilla. For whatever reason, Mechagodzilla is disguised as Godzilla and like wreaking havoc. So everybody's like, why is Godzilla attacking us? He was a good guy for the past 10 years now. What the heck's going on? Uh, but the aliens, they look like humans. 
But then when they when they're killed by a human or killed or whatever, their little like disguise wears off, and they're like weird green Planet of the Apes type dudes. They're pretty creepy looking. Do I think that's what all aliens look like, or what aliens that are visiting us look like? Probably not. How the fuck would I know? But I thought that was a fun answer. Okay. Karen. Well, um, I think that it's not just one. So it's hard to say. I don't think they're weird alien bug creatures, though. Like Independence Day style. Also, fun fact, the War of the Worlds aliens um, looked almost identical to the Independence Day aliens when I saw it, uh, when I rewatched it last night and was like, y'all just stole that shit. Um, I don't think that's what an alien looks like. But I would probably say, like, the gray alien is probably the one. I don't know if that's just because it's the most common. I don't know. I feel like... I I do like the idea of kind of uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers style. Also, um, I really love the alien in Men in Black. That's just the little cute guy in his head running the machinery. Yeah. In the head. Um, Okay, great. Uh. Real quick, I had a uh, book. I just, this is Karen saying the grays unlocked this memory. I had a book when I was younger. Maybe I rented it from the library or something. But it was a little, like, kid's book on, like, the different types of aliens that exist. And I remember, like, the grays and their, you know, whatever. I forget what all the other types are. But I remember, like, reading that, like, on, like, a family road trip and just being, like, enthralled by the different types of aliens. Like, taking it all for, like, face value, 100% fact. I'm like, oh, my God, Dad, did you know that there's this type of alien? Dad, did you know about this type of alien? (laughs) little Brad. Can I just say, I have a really random story that I think you just unlocked for me, Nikki, talking about Men in Black. So I'm sure you can understand that Men in Black, the original, is one of my favorite movies, generally speaking, of all time. I fucking love that film. I rewatch it at least once a year. Um, But my story is this, and you can believe me or you don't have to, whatever. To me, this is a real story that happened to me. Um, it was either really late at night or really early in the morning. Let's call it both. I'm pretty sure it was like 4 or 5 a.m. It was right around sun up, dawn, in like the summertime. And I was outside of my really shitty apartment in Rogers Park that I lived in because I was 24 and had no money. And I was outside smoking a cigarette because I pretty sure I'd been out drinking. I don't remember. I I was out there smoking a cigarette for a reason at 4 a.m. And I lived right next door to a 7-Eleven. And we all know the kinds of people that traffic 7-Eleven, especially around like 5 o'clock in the fucking morning. And I looked down and this dude was walking out of the 7-Eleven and crossing the street and like walking away. And as I watched him walk away, I swear to God, this man looked exactly like um, an alien out of Men in Black that was trying to blend in with the rest of humanity, but really did not look like it. He was, like, too tall. His face was just a little too jubbly. I don't know how to explain it, but this man just looked like a secret alien that wasn't so secret. And I literally had a moment where I was like, Men in Black, and then I, like, went into my building. <laughs> it was Can- that, but true story. You know, I gotta stop you there. We don't body shame on splatter brains, okay? I'm not body no, but I used shaming. to be one of those. Uh, I used to be one of those five a.m. Seven Eleven folk uh, during college when I worked a you morning job. You guys know what job. song is stuck in my head right now? Same. 
We are the men in black. Galaxy Defender. Here comes the men in black. That won't let you remember. Okay, great. Last couple questions. What is the craziest fact you know about UFOs or aliens? Like, just fact. Like, blah, 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 blah. Like, this is a thing that happened. Yeah, the craziest? craziest thing. Ooh, that's a really... That is really difficult to Okay, what if we come say. back to it? I'm stalling... Yeah, please come back to me on this one because I, I got it. I, and then, that's, then the last, the very minute. last one I have. What is the most important thing that you think people should know about aliens and or UFOs? That that UFOs do not equate to aliens. And that is, and that we need to stop treating UFOs as some weird taboo fringe subject. They're real. The government has acknowledged that they're real. It does not mean that aliens are coming to destroy our planet it just means we don't know what this these things are like that truly is my please stop treating it like i'm fox yeah. Mulder. i am fox Mulder, but but it's it's a subject that's worthy of research and we just have not had the ability to do the research around it because of you the hear stigma. that eddie so stop stigmatizing ufos and aliens He's the only one who's listening. Brad, what were you going to say? Nothing. Nothing. No. <laughs> okay, that, that was all my questions. Okay, I'm going to give you my response to the what's the craziest, like, real true fact. Um, to me, the craziest true fact, and the one that I always go to when people question me on this subject, is the release of the, top, of the, the three videos by the U.S. Navy of ufos captured on film by uh fighter jets they're real if you ever want to check them out they're called go fast gimbal and the tic tac and they're real they were recorded tic tac 2004 off the uss nimitz and go fast and gimbal were recorded in 20 2011 is 2011 or 2015 off the uss roosevelt those are the those that's the craziest thing was the government acknowledgement of UFOs being captured on video by military. What's by military. crazier than that is those are also the names of my three cats. If I didn't already have a Charlie and Bianca, yeah. you have no idea. Um, Brad, do you have uh, questions, additional thoughts, or should we jump to a Would You Rather segment from Karen today? No, let's do Would You Rathers. Would you rather? Okay, first one. Would you rather be abducted by E.T. or the aliens from Close Encounters? E.T. easily. I have a historical relationship with E.T. He has a sense of humor. I don't know much about the Close Encounters aliens. And there's a lot of them. I like the idea of developing an individual rapport with E.T. And also, you know how Elliot and E.T. have like a symbiotic relationship where like when one gets ill, the other gets ill. My mom and I joke that her and her dog have that too. So the idea of like a symbiotic relationship with E.T. is like very sweet to me. Um, That's how I feel about Charlie. 
they have a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, I'd do the same answer. Um, I don't, I don't know anything about the. You guys, they did. They, they have some sick music. Five notes. We got that here. Yeah, five notes. I'm already sick of the song. Yeah, yo, that's that's just an intro. You got. You haven't even heard the whole thing. That's just the intro. Well, okay. They're trying to hook you in. If the question was who, which aliens would I rather get my knockers batted around by, it would be the Close Encounters aliens. Brad, um, I think the same. But I do have a question about the Close Encounters aliens because the first one we see is long and wimbly, bimbly, Jack Skellington vibes, and then yeah. he just like disappears. What? Where'd that one go? Is he gonna knock my? Is he gonna bat my knockers around? Probably. He's the best reach, I'd imagine. He's like, uh, what was that thing like, Mister Stretch? That like nineties toy, mm-hmm. Stretch, Stretch Armstrong. Armstrong. Damn, Nikki. <laughs> I got it. I got it before you even said it. I got it. He's like Stretch Armstrong. He started stretchy, and then, yeah, Brad. He had Jack Skellington vibes. The first Agreed. alien, uh, weird. Those aliens freak me the fuck out as a kid. Whereas ET did not. So I'd probably be with y'all, but. All right, I've got a question for you guys. It's not a would you rather, but which movie alien do you think you could take in a one-on-one fist fight? In a one-on-one fist fight? E.T.? Oh, why would you do that? That's fucked up, Karen. Rude ass. I would pick, because I haven't made the reference yet, one of the aliens from the scene in Spice World, from the four aliens that come down to go to the concert, and they have these little claw hands, and they're like four feet tall. I could take one of those out easily. I think I'm going to pick the uh, little forehead alien from Men in Black. I'd kick that little guy's ass, I think. What if you couldn't, though? That'd be even funnier. Like, what if you could not defeat that little guy? (laughs) He just grabs her leg and like whips you back and uh, forth. That'd be embarrassing. I wouldn't want to air that that footage. No. Okay. This isn't a would you rather, but it is a similar similar ish question to Brad. Who is your favorite alien from a movie? Like a named alien or like a species? Either. Um can I have two answers for different reasons yes okay i'll allow it i i think the alien that i have the most visceral memories of being scared of which is kind of humorous looking back is the alien from signs which we've talked about many times although i really do think objectively it's the uh independence day alien but the one that i think is the most charming even though they're evil are the mars attacks aliens that's legit. Brad? I think I'd pick uh, Alan the Alien from Invincible. Not the Seth Rogen one, but the, the one in the comics. He's got like one eye and he gets the shit kicked out of him and then he like bulks up and it's pretty cool. Or a, a Goku. He's an alien. Sure. Goku from Dragon Ball Z. What about you, Karen? Um, I also have a two. Two, two of them. Uh, the alien I would like to travel with the most is the doctor. Uh, the alien that makes me shit my pants is the alien from science. So scariest alien is science. Uh, 
alien that I would want to meet and hang out with. The Doctor. All right. Final would you okay. rather. Because now we've all seen these movies. Which War of the Worlds would you rather... Which War of the Worlds world would you rather take part in? Original from 1953 or Tom Cruise remake 2005? I have to pick the 1953 one because I thought... I actually laughed out loud at the square dancing scene because I don't know if y'all had to do this in high school. We had a square dance in gym class and the idea of like... Alaman left promenade with someone in your class and a t-shirt and gym shorts was like such a visceral memory. And the thought of like doing that in a town square and then like tackling the aliens as a town is very sweet. And I've brought this up before and I really hope we outro the episode with this is the 2005 War of the Worlds. My only memory is the aliens are way bigger and Tom Cruise like cry whisper sings little deuce coop into dakota fanning's ear and it like makes me want to die i'm gonna throw a curveball and say the war of the world's world from scary movie 4 where it's a giant ipod uh the ufo is and it comes up and it, it selects the wrong song first which is come a chameleon everyone's like oh okay then it selects like doom or whatever and then everybody like runs in panic i think that one that reminds me also of why I love, again, I'm repeating myself because I say the same shit, but the other reason I love Mars Attacks is because he's defeated by a Slim, Whitney, Slim Whitman song, Indian Love Call. And I really love that song. Karen? Yep. What's your answer? I think I'm going to go 2005. I know. I know. That's the right face to make, but... I don't know. I just, I feel like I'd kick more ass in the 2005 also, world. I I know because we have very similar tastes. I know you are titillated by Dr. Clayton Forrester, as I am. You are not wrong. You are not wrong. Like, I could be a little Sylvia with my little Dr. Clayton Forrester and his little glasses and a little farmhouse. It's a little... Making eggs. Nap. Little nap lap. Making eggs. Making eggs. That egg scene made me want eggs so bad. Those are some good fried eggs. Right? Speaking of eggs, Karen, where can they find us on social media? Shit, dude. I have no idea. We have social media? Wait, sorry. Do we have any, do we have any last minute thoughts about UFOs or anything? Uh, my last minute thought is just uh, thanks for letting me go on my wild ride with this topic i super appreciate it because as you can tell i want to be richard dreyfus in close encounters yeah. <laughs> you want to leave your wife and children and just be like peace actually no I'd, i i would see if i could take the cats with me like a f- for sure but why wouldn't they want that oh yeah they're adorable oh yeah um brad to answer your question because karen won't you can find us on <laughs> instagram at splatterbrains podcast facebook just search it, Splatterbrains Podcast. Uh, Gmail at brainssplatter at gmail.com. Subreddit, it's just however that works. With the Why is your pinky up? Dr. Evil. Is, is this sh- I was counting all the, the social medias. Oh, did I get them all? 
It's just the three. Yeah, I think so. Or four. four. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, I know we don't have Twitter. Amen to that. Anna, you know what, yeah. guys? Alex Elon farts. Musk farts. Oh. oh. Yeah, Alex farts. They both fart. Sure. They're the same person. Same person. Same level on every huh. level. That's the yeah. conspiracy, man. Dude, never seen I him in the same room. I was gonna say, <gasps> Alex Musk, the truth is out there. I'm not bragging, babe, so don't put me down. Cause I got the fastest set of wheels in town. Something comes up to me, they don't even try. So I had a set of wings, babe, you know she could fly. She's my little deuce coop. You don't know. <laughs>